The Vape Passion Show, episode 81. In this episode, we're going to talk about an e-juice review of Sparkle by Steeped, an old-school vape review of the Cooper Mini 60-watt mod, San Francisco's Malia Cohen says big tobacco is targeting minorities, a study shows cancer risk with vaping is less than 1% the risk of smoking, new fake LG batteries hit the market, LG Chem is sending cease and desist letters to vape vendors, vaping and exploding batteries, Will removable batteries be regulated out of existence? And using packing tape to pull batteries out of your mod. Hey, welcome back to the Vape Passion Show. I'm Alex. This is episode 81, and I'm recording this on Monday, August 7th. If you're planning on buying a vape product anytime soon and you want to support the show, go to vapepassion.com vendors and buy from one of those links. There are more than 50 popular vendors listed. I'll get a small commission for referring you, but it doesn't cost you anything extra. I'm recording this really late in the week, and hopefully I can get it edited and published in a timely manner. I've had some family in town for the last uh, week or so, and I've been really busy hanging out with them. So um, school has also been really tough. I just finished writing a 15-page paper. So with family in town and schoolwork, I was, a, I was a little worried that I wouldn't have time to put a show together this week, but here we are, so obviously I got it done. So my wife watched my latest vlog, which she never has before, uh, she doesn't watch any of my vlogs. She doesn't vape, so she's not interested, but she decided to watch and she said that I talk too fast, like I'm a fire hose of info. So I just wanted to ask what you think. Do I talk too fast? I can't help myself. I watch everything on YouTube at 1.5 or 2 times speed, so I don't notice it when I'm editing, but I know that it's difficult for people when you're not used to it. So yeah, let me know what you think. I don't mind slowing down. It might help listeners better understand the info too. Also, I'm running a new giveaway for the device that I'm doing an old school vape review on in this episode, the 60 watt Cooper mini mod. Uh, the giveaway should be running by the time you hear this. So go to vapepassion.com giveaways to enter and stick around to learn a little bit more about the device. As for new vape stuff, I got some e-juice in from Malaysia, a Malaysian company called Flavor Hub. I haven't tried any of it yet, but they hooked me up with six flavors and they all sound good. They, they smell really good too. I'm excited to try those out. Oh, and I got a new tank from heavengifts.com to review. It's the Asvape Cobra, which is a nice little compact sub-ohm tank that uses some very unique coils. There are little tiny holes all around the entire coil, which is designed for really good wicking. I counted 130 holes, so yeah, they're a lot. It's a lower wattage tank that runs NI80 coils, but it performs really well and the flavor is really good. It looks really sleek too, but I've already found one really big con, and it's that the tinted coating on the glass will come off. I cleaned it in my ultrasonic cleaner and the entire coating came off. The replacement glass also looks like the coating is chipping. I'm really disappointed in that because otherwise, so far, it's a, I really like the tank, but I think that one con is going to be a no-go for a lot of people. But I'll keep testing it for a while and I'll try to get a review out soon. So with all that said, let's get into the show. Starting with an e-juice review of Sparkle by Steeped. So I got this from Steeped for the purpose of this review, and they hooked me up with a shirt too. Here, I'll show you. Yeah, not bad. It's a pretty cool shirt. It's got a big e-juice bottle on it. They are an e-juice company based out of the UK. You can find them at steepedeliquid.co.uk. They sell 40 mils for 1599 GBP. It's 80 VG, 20 PG, and comes only in 3 milligrams nicotine. Sparkle is described as a summer's day thirst quencher, popping raspberries and tangy fizzy lemonade. It smells really good. It, it does smell like a lemonade for sure. This is, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to taste like a lemonade. Interestingly though, it smells a lot like Coaster, one of their other flavors that I reviewed. And uh, this one is a lemon and lime frozen yogurt, or no, frozen ice cream. And this one was really good. I thought it, th this was probably one of my favorites out of all that they sent me. So I, I'm thinking that they're 
probably using a very similar recipe here for coaster or for sparkle. So uh, let's give it a shot. So I'm using the Sub-Zero RDA on top of the Smoke Alien. It's, uh, let's see, 90 watts, built at 0.28 ohms. Okay, so they say raspberries and fizzy lemonade. It definitely tastes like lemonade. Um, I'm not sure I get any raspberry out of it. Well, maybe a little tiny bit. Yeah, I guess I can taste some of that, that raspberry in there. It does have a fruity, a slightly fruity taste. Um, but mostly I get that lemonade. And it's really good. And it does taste a lot like Coaster, actually. And, um, you know, I'm going to try it, try Coaster real quick just to compare. Okay, yeah, there's a difference. Um, they, they do seem to be using that same type of whatever they're using for the lemonade in Coaster, they're using in Sparkle, I think. There are some similarities, but it's pretty different. Yeah, if you want a lemonade e juice, I say go check this one out. It's pretty good. So yeah, like I said, you can get this from steepedeliquid.co.uk, and that's spelled S-T-E-P-D without the last E, and they sell 40 mils for 15.99 GBP. All right, now let's do an old school vapor view of the Cooper Mini 60 watt mod. So this is a single battery 60 watt mod from Smoke that came out sometime around August 2015. I've always wanted one, so when I saw a sale, I bought one. In the box, you'll get the Smoke Cooper Mini, a user manual, and not in the box, but included with purchase, a silicone case or sleeve. So it's 60 watts. It's made from stainless steel with a zinc alloy coating. It has temperature control. It takes one 18650 battery. It supports an atomizer resistance of 0.06 to 2 ohms in temperature control mode and 0.1 to 3 ohms in variable wattage mode. In temperature control, it goes from 200 Fahrenheit to 600 degrees Fahrenheit. So the box itself looks nice, but it's not a work of art, but it's solid. I've always really liked the design of the lines on the casing. Other than that though, it's pretty basic. There are vent holes both on the battery cover and on the bottom of the device, which allows the device to breathe and also protects you in the case of a venting battery. The buttons are nice and clicky, which I like. One drawback that I found is that there's overhang with pretty much any atomizer on the market, unless you're using like an old school 16 millimeter clearamizer or something like that. Uh, the Cooper Mini has a battery door held in place with magnets. I think they should have used stronger magnets. The lid seems to be pretty easy to slide off. It also comes with a rubber cover to protect the device. The cover works fine and is easy enough to slide on. Uh, it's annoying to take off and on every time I need to change the battery though, but if you want to keep the device protected, that's your only option. The size is fairly small, although you can see how far we've come in the last two years. For example, the Smoke Alien and the Predator 228 are just slightly bigger, but they are dual battery mods. So yeah, relative to the size of mods today, it's kind of big. Like most devices, five clicks turns it on. When it's on, five clicks locks it, but doesn't turn it off. To turn it off completely, you can do that in the menu. This is a bit of a pain, but I actually like this feature for added protection. You can actually lock the device with five clicks, then go into the menu and turn it off. When you turn it back on, the device is still locked and requires five more clicks to unlock it. It's a lot of clicks, but if you're worried of ever accidentally turning it on and firing it in your pocket or backpack, it's a, it's a nice feature. The screen shows you everything you need to know, like the battery charge level, the ohm reading of your atomizers, the temperature or wattage that you're at, and if it's locked. Within the menu, you can change from wattage to temp control mode, change the temperature control to nickel, stainless steel, and titanium, change the temperature control ramp up to soft, normal, or hard, how long you want the screen to stay on before going to sleep, set your puff counter, rotate your screen, 
set the temperature coefficient if you want to set it manually for specific types of wires, and set initial ohm setting to lock it into place. The one thing that I don't like about the menu is that you can't press a button to immediately make a selection. You have to wait a couple of seconds for the device to select the option for you, whatever option you're, you're, you've highlighted. I don't know why they didn't make the fire button work as the select button. Alright, now temperature control. The Cooper Mini has something called dual driver system. They say this dual drive system bucks and boosts the voltage to improve the voltage accuracy. They also say that it has high frequency resistance sensing technology, which is designed to detect atomizer resistance every 250 microseconds or 4,000 times per second. They say this makes sure that temperature control is working accurately at all times. There are three settings that allow you to increase ramp up time in temperature control mode, soft, medium, and hard. I don't vape in temperature control, so I'm not an expert. So rather than tell you my experience, I'll tell you what I've learned from other reviews. Basically, temp control works, but it's not very accurate, and it's also really slow. If you want more accuracy, you'll have better luck adjusting the coefficient manually. People have said that even in hard ramp up mode, it ramps up really slow. Okay, the USB port. So the USB port is designed only for firmware updates, not for charging. The Cooper Mini is supposed to be firmware upgradable, but Smoke didn't make it possible for consumers to update the firmware themselves. They required that you pay for shipping to send it to someone who can do the firmware update for you and then you have to pay for shipping back. This is a two-year-old device now, so I, I don't even know if they will still do a firmware update for you, but I believe that any models that you find on the market today will already have the latest update because mine does, or at least I think it does, since mine supports stainless steel in temperature control mode and the original didn't. The battery life is not very good on this device, and since this is a single battery device, that compounds the problem, especially if you vape at higher wattages. Anything above 30 watts will drain the battery fast. But if you're a mouth to lung vapor vaping at 10 to 20 watts, you might be able to get through the day on one battery. Most single battery devices have poor battery life, but this one seems a little worse than most. So I've been using this mod with the Asvape Cobra and I've been liking it. It's fairly small. It's not too heavy. It performs the way it should for the most part, at least in wattage mode, and it looks nice. Battery life sucks, so that's a con, but if you're a lower wattage vapor or if you don't vape all that often, it should last a decent amount of time. If you do use temp control, you probably won't like this one very much. So would I recommend buying this? In most cases, probably not. You can get much more out of a dual battery mod these days and still maintain the small size. So I wouldn't choose this over a nicer, newer mod. But if you see a really good deal on this, I think it's worth picking up. For example, I found it on clearance for $15, which is why I bought it but I probably wouldn't pay any more than that. Okay, moving on to regulation news. San Francisco's Malia Cohen says Big Tobacco is targeting minorities. So San Francisco Board of Supervisors Malia Cohen, who introduced the flavor ban of tobacco products in San Francisco, has been speaking out publicly in various forums about the dangers of electronic cigarettes, obviously in support of the ban that she recently passed. In a recent interview with News One Now with Roland Martin, a popular show focused on the perspective of the black community, she talks a lot about how vapor products are being pushed on minorities, young people, and, in her words, vulnerable communities by the tobacco industry, and how former elected prominent members of the community have been hired by the tobacco industry to discredit science. She also said that these products are being sold at a discount in, again, her words, the hood, as a way to get less, aff less affluent people addicted. She doesn't provide any evidence for any of this, of course. She also talked about how the vaping industry has created flavors like grape, watermelon, and chicken and waffle, which she claims is clearly targeting the African-American community. Now, how about that for twisting facts and feeding a stereotype at the same time? Do only African-Americans like those flavors? That's one of the most ridiculous comments that I've heard in a long time. There are thousands of flavors available. Why would we have 
peach and orange and strawberry, but not watermelon or grape. And it's not like chicken and waffle is a popular flavor. You can find barbecue sauce, pizza, roast beef, and even bacon. These are novelty e-juices created by small e-juice manufacturers, not big tobacco. And you won't find these flavors in a gas station, much less a vape shop. These flavors weren't created to target a demographic or specific minority. She's clearly reaching as far as she can to justify her actions here. And I'm not saying that Cohen is a bad person. She might actually do a lot of good for her community. But when it comes to vaping, I think she has been misled by the collective view of the Democratic Party, who has been consistently against vaping. She's chosen to ignore the science and the benefits of harm reduction. Rather than saving lives, she's now made it harder for people to choose vaping over smoking. The only option in San Francisco will soon be regular tobacco cigarettes. Alright, now let's talk a little science and research. A new study shows that cancer risk with vaping is less than 1% of the risk of smoking. So Tobacco Control just recently published a study showing that the risk of cancer with vaping is less than 1% of the risk with smoking. Their study also shows that the risk is just slightly higher than the risks of nicotine replacement therapy products. The research team modeled cancer potency based on data that has already been published on the chemical analysis of emissions and associated inhalation risks with both smoke and e-cigarette vapor. They then calculated lifetime cancer risks using estimates for typical daily use of these products. The researchers point out that nicotine itself is not cancerous, but that vaporized nicotine products can transfer known carcinogens in the aerosol. To determine the level of harm in vapor products, they looked at biomarkers in bodily fluids in vivo, or in a living organism, and in vitro, in a test tube, in uh, toxicology studies. The studies that they reviewed were tests done on cigarette smoke, heat not burn products, and electronic cigarettes. They found that the risk goes up when vaping at high voltages because more carbonyls and aldehydes are produced, but under normal conditions, the risk is very low. The researchers mentioned that the likely cause for increased risk is primarily due to dry burning the coils, and not only due to vaping at high temperatures. Further on in the study, they also clarify that when vaping at fixed or recommended voltages, risks of carbonyl exposure are relatively low. They also suggested that propylene glycol versus vegetable glycerin balance, other additives or ingredients in e-liquid, and puff count or puff duration can influence the production of aldehydes, but that all of these factors are dominated by overheating the coils. They talked a little bit about metal toxins too, saying that they could potentially play a major role in risk values. Uh, because the, the coils are often made with nichrome or canthal, and the atomizers and cartridges often contain metal, there is a possibility of corrosion there. The researchers stated that there is at least some evidence showing that corrosion can happen in pre-filled devices over time. There isn't enough data on the study of metals and vapor products to come to a conclusion yet, but they do recommend tests be done to learn if, if there is a cancer risk. And they also tested heat not burn products and found that they also have less risk than cigarettes, but have approximately 10% higher cancer potencies than electronic cigarettes. Relative to smoking, this is still a fairly low risk. The final conclusions that you can take away from this study is that one, carcinogens from e-cigarettes are avoidable, just avoid dry hits. Two, vaping does have carcinogens, but this depends on how the device is used. Basically, don't vape so high that you burn your wick. Three, vaping has 1% the cancer risk of smoking. Four, any research that indicates higher cancer risk in e-cigarettes is in the minority. The majority of research, which is a very important distinction to make, shows that vaping has much less risk. Five, there may be metal toxins that build up over time, though it's not proven yet. And six, and most importantly, vaping is orders of magnitude safer than smoking. Okay, let's move on to the next topic. New fake LG batteries hit the market. So, Battery Mooch is back with an important alert on LG HE2 batteries. 
he has determined that there are fakes making the rounds, which is obviously bad, but fortunately there are easy ways to identify them because they were so poorly copied. So all LG batteries have four legs coming off the top positive contact, but these fakes have three legs. It's as easy as that to find out if you have these new fakes. This isn't to say that there aren't other LG HE2 fakes on the market that have different identifying marks or stats, but these fakes are just some of the latest to be found. The authentic HE2s are 20 amp, 2500 milliamp hour batteries, but Mooch's test found that fakes are, these fakes are 10 to 15 amp, 21 milliamp hour batteries. If you have a fake, see if you can get a refund Otherwise, you're probably better to recycle them. If you just can't bring yourself to recycle them, treat them as if they are a 10 amp battery and be careful. And to follow up on that, LG Chem is sending cease and desist letters to vape vendors. Battery Mooch just recently reported that LG, one of the largest and most reputable battery manufacturers, has started to send out cease and desist letters to vape shops asking them to stop selling their batteries. More and more battery manufacturers are facing lawsuits due to injuries caused by uninformed people misusing batteries and vape devices. It seems like every week we hear a new story of someone putting an unprotected lithium-ion battery in their pocket with keys or loose change and then causing a hard short and a battery explosion. So Sony, LG, and other companies have already placed warnings on their websites and even on their batteries saying that the batteries are not intended for use in vaping devices, but LG has taken it a step further and is now sending cease and desists. Many vendors have already stopped selling them, so you might notice a shortage soon. This might also result in the market becoming saturated with fakes. My advice would have been that if you're looking for LG batteries, only buy them from highly trusted vendors like imrbatteries.com and illumin.com, but it turns out that they have already been removed from both of those sites. So if you're looking for them, be careful that you're not getting fakes. Okay, and now I wanna go on a bit of a rant about these battery explosions and the people causing them. Many people in the vape community tend to blame these people for being stupid and ignorant, often saying things like, well, if they would have done their research, they would be fine. But how many general consumer-facing industries work like that? I know vapors want the freedom to do whatever they want, but 18650s, exposed cells, are simply not intended to be handed over to a consumer to constantly remove and replace in an electronic device. 18650s are designed to be placed in a protected casing, like what you'd find on a cordless drill. Handling lithium ion cells was fine when the vape industry was small because the only people who used 18650s were hobbyists using mech mods. These products weren't mass produced and easy to find. You had to go out of your way to find them, which inherently led to educating yourself about the risks. But now the vape industry is huge, and vape shops are just carelessly handing over lithium ion batteries to any random person who walks into their shop who asks for something that will let them blow huge clouds. I think the responsibility ultimately falls on vape shops and the vape community for letting this happen. I actually want to read you a comment about this from a post on Reddit, which I think makes several great points. This was written by someone who works at a vape shop, but they deleted their account on Reddit, so I don't know who it is. So they said, This is partly our own fault as an industry. The mistake early on was letting the hobbyists and China dictate what becomes a consumer product. Your typical consumer should not have ever been able to walk into a vape shop and buy an 18650 and a mech mod. Ordering it off eBay or importing it yourself is where that belonged. So when it blows up, the court can point at you and say you went to great lengths to misuse the product and it's your own damn fault. The FDA will never approve a user replaceable battery device. We should have grown up without mommy coming and telling us to. The auto industry actually did go through this decades ago and it took Ralph Nader to come along and point out the bullcrap. You want no seatbelts and no airbags? Oh well, you're less than 1% of the user base and you're endangering the other 99% if we cater to you. It's just as ridiculous as the claim some of the potential uninsured people will be uninsured by choice. 
Yes, when people are broke, they will endanger themselves to save a buck. You can't let them. Years back, I noticed we'd only sell one or two battery cases for every 100 batteries. We had to start simply giving it away. This was before that became fairly common. You have to force safety on people. So that's everything that he said. So with all that said, what's the fix? Well, I don't know, but here's my theory. We already know that the FDA plans to regulate batteries for safety reasons. So at least here in the US, I think the FDA will eventually create regulations on devices and require that they don't even have removable batteries. They might not be able to stop people from buying batteries or re removable battery devices from outside of the country, but they can regulate it with vape shops running their own businesses here in the US. They can make it so that vape shops aren't allowed to carry loose batteries. Or, or the devices that use them. And if it ever gets to that point, China might actually stop manufacturing devices that can use removable cells because it will become a niche market. If vape shops can't carry them, why would they make them? It won't be profitable. That's just one theory. I honestly hope it doesn't go down like that because I love being able to replace the batteries in my devices. Who knows though, maybe the regulators will require that all vape shops require warnings on batteries and devices and that all batteries come in protective cases. That would be awesome. I don't see it happening, but Wishful thinking, right? Okay, and the last topic this week, using packing tape to pull your batteries out of your mod to prevent tears. So here's a little tip for getting 18650 batteries out of your battery sleds. This would be if you have a device where the batteries sit in the sleds really tight. Most mods have ribbons that you can use to pull the batteries out, but when the batteries are in really tight, the wraps can wear down or get caught on the bottom or tops of the batteries. I haven't personally had this happen to me with any device that I've ever had, but I've seen pictures of it happening to other people, so I know that it's somewhat of a problem. Anyway, this video I came across shows a really simple trick. He puts tape, which looks like clear packing tape, on each battery, running the length of the battery, but not touching the contacts of the battery. One of the ends of the tape is sticking up so that he can grab it and pull the battery down towards the, the spring contact on the mod. Then he pulls the battery out. I think you could also fold over the end of the tape onto itself so that you don't have to worry about the whole piece of tape getting stuck to the battery. Super basic, but a great trick if you've had issues with torn wraps. Okay, that's all I have for this week. You'll find the show notes for this episode on vapepassion.com. Just do a search for episode 81. If you want to support this show, consider donating to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash vapepassion. You can follow me on Twitter at vapepassion, and I'm also on Facebook. If you like the show, I'd love it if you gave me a review on iTunes. You can also catch the video version of the podcast on YouTube. If you're not already a subscriber, please subscribe. If you want to get notifications of new reviews or of the show, you can sign up to receive my weekly email on vapepassion.com. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email me anytime or leave a comment on one of my videos. All right, I'll see you next week. 